0: Morning. Hope y'all are having a great week so far. If uh, if I if I'm I'm pretty sure I'm right on this, Uh, we got spring break going. So if you're not going somewhere, I hope you're still able to rest and relax. Students, take this time to get caught up on all your homework because I know studies are just that important. I got it. You know I understand, but uh, no, it is a good morning, and I'm so glad that you're here and we have a chance to open God's Word and see something that I believe God is calling us to live out every day. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to John chapter 12. Uh, find John chapter twelve. Whether uh, it's in paperback, notebook, uh, iPad, phone, whatever, I want you to have the Word of God. We desire you to have the Word of God in front of you. We have it on the screen, but if you don't, if you don't have access to it on a regular basis, if this is the only way you see the Word of God, that that's not a healthy diet for a follower of Jesus. And so we want to help you with that. We, if you need a Bible, we will give you one. We will we will get you one. So let us know on that. But John chapter twelve, before we dive into that, I do want to make just two announcements that we that we 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 have for us. First off, Alabama Baptist Children's Home is in need of sippy cups for their foster care families. And they're they're actually specific sippy cups that they have to purchase that meet all the regulations. And so we're actually partnering with them and we're asking anyone that can, anybody that feels led to, to give to that. Uh, and you can actually give money towards that. We're ta- you can put that in the offering. We'll have a basket out. If we, if we can get a couple of our deacons, just make sure we have a basket at the doors. Or you can put that in next week. or so the weeks after that, uh, we've got that. We'll be taking that that through April 15th. Uh, but if you write a check, make sure you put on the check or on the envelope A-B-C-H, Alabama Baptist Children's Home, just to specify and to designate that for this particular opportunity to give to that. And then also, don't forget, kind of a big deal next Sunday, we're celebrating Easter. Amen? I mean, I I hope that that kind of actually excites you a little bit because it is because of this day that we're recognizing that we have hope in life. Amen? Oh, come on now. We have hope in life because of Easter, because of the resurrection of Jesus. So That should excite us a little bit, right? And I want to make you aware we actually have next Sunday, we will be having two services. We have opportunities to reach. This Sunday is, uh, historically, it's always a Sunday where we have guest visitors coming in, uh, where our our attendance trip doubles, if not triples in size. And so we're offering two services. We have an 8 o'clock service and a 1030 service, okay? And so what we want you to do is we want you to consider possibly attending maybe the early service. Our guests are going to come. Now, I don't want like all of us to come to the first service and then our guests show up and there's like nobody here for, for from our faith family. But uh, possibly you may get with your small group. If you communicate with your small group throughout the week, some of y'all may decide, hey, let's go to the first service uh, at eight o'clock just again to help us uh, regulate that through and flow through there. So we've got plenty of room for the guests that'll be coming in. But either way, 8 a.m., 10.30 a.m., they're going to be identical services. So uh, come to either one. You may come to one, the first service and, and serve during the second service. I know there's always an influx of kids in our preschool and kids ministry, so opportunities uh, there. This past week, we're sitting at the table in our in our dining room, and we're eating lunch. And uh, I'm 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 eating I'm eating whatever whatever we have around the house. Kayla is amazing. You don't want me cooking like when I say I'm fi- I'm fixing dinner tonight. I'm ordering Papa John's top deal, or I'm going to Jack's to pick up you know something from Jack's. That's my way of fixing dinner. So but Kayla is of course the the she's the primary cook. I mean you, like I said you don't want me in the kitchen because it's gonna be burnt down. Uh, the house is gonna be on fire. But she made, she made lunch, and Carrington, uh, my, my two kids, they're, they're completely opposites. Like, Hudson is the most picky eater I've ever known. Carrington was choosing broccoli over french fries at two and a half years old. I don't get it. It amazes me. I, I, but, but Hudson, if it's not cheese pizza, Chick-fil-A french fries, or maybe Chick-fil-A uh, chicken, There's a battle going on, okay. But uh, so we're eating. We we got each got our lunch, and and Kayla actually has a shake. She's 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 healthy. She she is what I need to be, um, but not. uh, But I'm not. Uh, She's drinking a shake. But she's shaking this uh, this this uh, shake up in one of Carrington's water bottle. Okay. So she's shaking, mixing this this shake up, and all of a sudden I hear Carrington sitting at the table. Hey, that's my water bottle. And we kind of looked at her, and Kayla's like, "No, it's not. Yes, it is. It's my water bottle." And that, and there's this this argument that if we're not careful, it began to just start off. And I'm going, "Wait, time out. First off, did you buy that water bottle?" No. Do you own this house that you make the mortgage payment? You, you know what I'm talking. You, you, you know where this argument's going, right? It's one of those things. I'm I'm that parent that maybe I'm wrong in this, but I want my kids to know, hey, I love you. I'm so glad I can give you everything that you're asking for if it's within my power. And guess what? I have every ability to take it away just like that. I want them to know, I want, I want my kids to know, hey, this is a gift given to you by mom and dad. This is something that we love you, and we want to give it to you. But guess what? It ain't yours, because it wasn't bought by your money. It was bought by ours. I'm that, I'll be honest, I'm that, and I'm not going to get into the debate. I'm, I'm that selfish parent. I want credit for when I give gifts. Like next week when a certain little animal that's supposed to hop around and leave baskets of candy? No, it ain't happening in my house. I want them to know that candy's from Mommy and Daddy. You know, a, a, a jolly fellow that happens in a little bit earlier in the, you know, that happened a couple months ago. Nope, Mommy and Daddy bought that. Mommy and Daddy bought that present. Nope, nobody's breaking into our house. Trust me, I'm your protector and your provider. Love me. You know, you, but you understand what I'm saying? I, we we have that mentality, and, and it was one of those things that for a moment there, when Carrington was like, that's my water bottle, I'm like, whoa, hang on now. You research, you research and you study, and you, you can all it takes is Google, a quick Google search, and this generation that is coming up is considered to be one of the most ungrateful and selfish generations. It, there's this sense of entitlement, and I'm not preaching on... Ungratefulness, or I'm not preaching on uh, on this generation's entitlement or anything. Honestly, you read those same articles, and you're going to find they learned it somewhere. It was taught, even if not directly. But there's this there's this mindset within us that buries deep with that's buried deep down within of this idea of claim over something in our lives. Even as Christians, we have, we have this mindset, if we're not careful, that we have claim over, over our lives. That we have claim over our time. We have claim over these certain areas. And what I hope to, for us to see this morning is that that is not so. And God is calling us to a bigger picture of what the, what the gospel has painted. And in the story we're looking at this morning, we see someone who gets it. We see someone who. Who in, who, who in walking and watching Jesus and living and following after him came to the point that said, God, thank you for you, for all that you've done, for all that you've given, for all that you've, you've blessed me with. And God, I want to give it right back. Today we're looking at a life of sacrifice the takeaway this morning if there's anything again that I could I could hope I would hope that you would walk away with and again I challenge you we challenge you every Sunday to take notes write things down go back and reread these scriptures don't just take what I say or what pastor Toby says as verbe as the word of God we're proclaiming the word of God but you still are called as a follower as a disciple to seek out and to study that but the takeaway this morning that I want you to walk away with is that a life of sacrifice is the calling on every disciple's life. A life of sacrifice is the calling on every disciple's life. Now, notice I, there's a particular word in there. That I, I used a different word. to be easy. We could say the life of sacrifice is the calling on every church member's life or every Christian's life even, but I'm afraid that those terms have been thrown around so loosely we lose the weight of that. And what God has called us to be is not necessarily just a Christian. He's calling us to be a disciple and to follow after him. A disciple, the definition of a disciple is just simply a learner, someone who is learning and growing and studying under someone. And so if we're called to be a disciple, then that means we're called to learn and follow after Jesus. And one of the attributes or one of the marks of a disciple is the life of sacrifice. Oxford Dictionary defines sacrifice as this. Sacrifice is the surrender or destruction of something prized or desirable for the sake of something considered as having a higher or more pressing claim. A sacrifice for something to be sacrificed, it is the idea of taking something that is prized or desirable, not just anything, but something that is important and something that is valuable, and surrendering it or destroying it for the sake of something that we consider greater. So it, there's some clarifiers in there. Again, the first thing is the idea that it, this item is prized or desirable. So if we, if, we're sacri- if we say we're sacrificing something, we're giving something that is desirable within our own hearts. If we're giving the leftovers, that's not a sacrifice. When we go through our closet or we go through our house and we find something, I ain't messed with that in over 10 years. Let's just, let's just get rid of it. Let's give it away. That's not a sacrifice. A sacrifice is something prized or, or desirable that you, that you love, that you enjoy, that you hold on to. And we surrender it and we destroy it. Synonyms uh, of sacrifice are abandonment, surrender, forfeit, or to yield. And now with that definition, I want us to see this life of sacrifice that Jesus is calling us to lead lead and to live. Because it's a calling on every one of us that desire to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. John chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Let me read and then we'll break this down some. It so says, six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So, so John is giving a little bit of context right there just off the bat of what's going on. We have in chapter 11 the raising of Lazarus. He had been dead. They came and told him, told Jesus he was sick, and he said, cool, that's great. We'll leave in about three or four days. We're, we're not even going to worry about it right there. By the time we get there, he's going to be long dead. Not just dead, but dead, dead, okay? There's no mistaking it. But Jesus comes in and says, I've, I am greater than death itself. I am the resurrection and the life. And he raises Lazarus. And so after that had happened, because apparently it's already right happened because Lazarus is there, they're throwing this party. They're, they're, they're celebrating. That's a reason to celebrate. Verse 2, it says, so they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of the ones reclining with him at, ta- at the table, Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard. Everyone say nard. One more time, say nard. I just wanted you to say the word nard. And, appointed the feet, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. with you, but you do not always have me. Now if you were to stu- if you're studying this scripture I want you to understand this is actually a story that is, a- is accounted in the other gospels and that, is- that just helps bring us some clarity on that you can go to Matthew chapter 26 or also to Mark chapter 14 and read this same account and there's going to be some differences or some variances. It doesn't mean the story is not true it means they're telling it from a d- different angle from a different perspective the, the main differences are different are, are ideas of where she anointed, and if you combine the story, you just get a fuller picture. But no matter what, what we have is we have Jesus hanging out with his friends. He's about to be crucified. We're in the week of his crucifixion, what a church, the liturgical church calendar conti- calls the Holy Week as they celebrate and, and go back and look at the accounts and the, the events of the week leading up to his crucifixion. And this is account is the same back and forth. The anointing is, is complete head to toe. Matthew and Mark focus on the head as the anointing of the of that uh, of Jesus for his burial. John here focuses on the feet. I believe again, it's just a different picture, different perspective. Both happen. Mary Mark's account speaks of the container uh, being an alabaster jar, which is uh, a very uh, it's a very unique and a very important. It's a very costly. costly jar. And so John focuses on the the ointment that is there while they talk about the other. And again, it just gives you a bigger picture. There's another account. What we want to make sure we do is we don't confuse this with the account in Luke chapter 7, which is where the woman, the prostitute, that had been changed, that had been, whose life had been changed, comes in and, and anoints Jesus as well. There, there are two different, they are two different scenarios. Mary is the sister of Martha, who were followers of Jesus. She was devoted. She, she sat at the feet. Uh, of Jesus. So you have the account of Mary getting on to Jesus and, and, and then telling her, him to rebuke her for just sitting around not doing anything. And Jesus says, no, Mary has chosen the better task. But in this moment, Mary comes and does something that I believe portrays a picture of a life of sacrifice. And I want to give us three things that we see in this story. And again, we're in John chapter 12, but I encourage you, you can, you can go back and look at Matthew chapter 26 and Mark chapter 14. First thing I want us to see is about the life of sacrifice is that a life of sacrifice is pouring out, Is a life of sacrifice is a life of complete brokenness. A life of sacrifice is a life of complete brokenness. Look at the account and what's going on and what happens here. In verse number two, it says So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. And Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet. Now, again, you go to Mark, you find the account in Mark where it says that this jar is an alabaster jar. And guess what Mary did with this jar? She breaks it. She takes this jar of expensive perfume of of everything that she had and she takes not just the ointment is not just the expensive part. The jar itself is completely unique and it is important. And there's a possibility some scholars believe it may have even actually been a family heirloom which would have made it even more important, would even more valuable. And again, the definition of sacrifice is what? Destruction or surrender of something prized or valuable. And she takes this jar filled with pure nard, which was a fragrance, a perfume that was imported from India. So it wasn't something common. And she takes this jar and breaks it. pours it on the feet and on the head of Jesus. And as she does that, I believe we see that a life of sacrifice is a life that is of complete brokenness. This I, this, this perfume, it, we, we put perfume on or cologne for men. We we have them in little spray bottles, right? That They didn't have the technology of a little spritzer on their jars or anything. So it was very important of how they cared for this, of how they watched this. It was sealed in a certain way as to preserve it. And it's not just like one of our little two-ounce or four-ounce. This was, according to to studies, this pound was, in the Greek, it was a Roman liter, which was 11 ounces. Basically, it's the equivalent of a a Coke can, of a 12-ounce aluminum can of perfume. And she takes it and breaks it open and pours everything out of that jar, anointing her Lord. my question does our life reflect a life that is a life of complete brokenness as i was thinking as i was praying through this the thought came to me that if you research the if you research the church of today you research the christian church you go studies there's so many people there at least 70 to 80% of people in our country Proclaim to be Christian, but you start studying, you start looking, and breaking down the same numbers. It's less than forty percent people read their Bible consistently. And when I say consistently, we would think that that means daily, that means four times out of the out of the seven days, four days out of the seven days of the week. How many of us would? would admit that we've been a follower of Jesus, but we've never shared it with anyone. We've never shared the gospel with anyone. We look at our lives and we... We say, Jesus, here I am. Thank you for this gift. And, and like I said, the, the ointment and the, and the jar that was given to Mary that, was pu- that, was, that she came and brought to Jesus was, was everything that she had. And it would have been so easy for even if she had taken that jar and got it open where she could have put the top and just poured half of it out. That would have been plenty to anoint Jesus and fill up the room. She said, no, no, Jesus, Jesus didn't get in half of this. This is, this is, this is it. My fear is that we'll gladly give Jesus our eternity, but we can struggle giving Jesus our today. When we talk about being a Christian, when we talk about following Jesus, it's easy for us to get to, to, to say that we're here completely broken, but does our life reflect that? Or are we really saying, God, we're here hoping that one day we get to be broken and we get to be new and we get to But really right now I'm not quite sure if I can sacrifice this when God is calling, I believe, every disciple to a life of sacrifice that is reflected in complete brokenness. But a life of sacrifice is not just a life of complete brokenness. A life of sacrifice is a life pouring out love and humility. D.A. Carson, who's a, a pastor and theologian, who a, a Bible scholar that was talking on when talking about this verse, he says that John's focus on Jesus' feet in term, is, is in terms of symbol, uh, symbolism established in chapter 13 where Jesus comes. And we're, we'll look at that in just a minute. But it is at the very least signifying the alt, the utmost in self-humbling devotion and love for her Savior. As Mary came and anointed Jesus, and John says that she anointed you, she, she took all this this expensive ointment and poured it on the feet of Jesus. Understand the importance of that, because the feet were the most degrading part for someone to mess with. Anybody in here love feet? Exactly. Okay, I was gonna be honest. If you do love feet, if you have a, if you're like, you know what, I just think feet are awesome. You know what? They're just the way those toes wiggle. It's like it's like a mini hand waving at you. That's just creepy. You know, people like like some people can pin like pinch and grip things with their toes. I'm like, no, put it down. Don't touch it. My sister-in-law is a gymnast, or she she used to do gymnastics all the time, and like, it's one of those things, I love her, but she has gorilla toes, and she can grip the beam with her toes, like, and and she's awesome at gymnastics, but I'm like, dude, no. Like, feet are just, feet are just nasty. I mean, you take, I leave my shoes on as long as possible for a reason, and if you're in the house with me, you're thankful for that part, Okay. Because it's one of those things, feet, there's nothing awesome about feet. But yet Mary comes in with a jar, an imported, costly perfume, and goes straight to Jesus' feet and begins to pour out everything she has on her Savior's feet without a care of the cost and without a care of who is watching. The feet were the most humbling part, but also you have to understand, in this culture, in this context, the fact that a woman would come into the presence of men that were sitting at the table, women where they were served, she comes in and she sits at her feet and then she undoes her wrap that's hiding her hair. Begins to wipe this ointment now with her hair. Mary's life was a life of sacrifice because it was a life that poured out love and humility. It says, I don't care what people think. I don't care what people are going, to, are going to say. I don't care that if it costs me everything. It says, we find out in the passage, look with me, in, chap, in verse number 4, it says, But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii? Now, understand a denarii was one day's wages. In that time, it was the common wage for a day's worth of work for the common laborer. And so, 300 of these would be attesting to a year's worth of wages. You take out 52 Sabbaths, possibly, we'll say, throw in eight sick day, six days. A year's worth of wages, and Mary says, it is totally worth it. And we say, well, that's 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 Judas who is rebuking him. No, if you go actually read the other accounts, guess what? The other disciples follow right along with. Them. And they say, why wasn't this? We could have done this. Here, here's a interesting fact. Here's something that I believe was really, really peculiar as I was studying because it's so easy for us, especially in today's society, there's this mindset that this idea that we have to be doing good works. And let me tell you, the church is before anything else called to serve the poor, to go and show love to the unlovable. But an interesting fact is that Judas and the disciples are saying, no, we should have sold that so we could have done this good work. And Jesus says, no, she shouldn't have. Leave her alone. In other accounts, he says what she's doing is going to do a greater work than any 300 denarii could ever do because what she's doing is going to be told when the gospel is told that what she's doing is going to be shared for thousands and thousands of years from now that people would see and know not just our service, but they would know our love and our humility and our heartbeat for Jesus. They weren't, they weren't even rebuking the act as much as the extravagance of it. And my question is, does Jesus even get our attention, let alone our extravagance? And I'm not talking about the context in here. I'm, I'm talking about in our everyday life as we're living and walking through this life every day. Does Jesus even get our attention? when he deserves our extravagance. And Jesus wasn't diminishing the poor. He was saying, he was exalting his lordship. Who's the only one greater to love more than our neighbor? The Lord our God. What does it say? The first commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Then love your neighbor. And it's going to be an overflow. And I I want you to understand, I'm not pitting one against the other. I'm not saying this one's more important. I'm saying that there are both just as valuable. And I believe that Mary was one who also loved to serve and would have done the same thing. But she said, there is nothing at this moment that is more important than Jesus. And I'm going to give everything I have for him. Every ounce Is going to be poured out in extravagant love and humility. What are we called to pour out? We're called to pour out our time. As we pour out love and humility for Jesus and live a life of sacrifice, here's a couple way markers, a couple litmus tests. When we look at our time, does Jesus get the extravagance of our time? We look at our talents Our abilities. Some of us have been so gifted in such powerful ways, and we're using those every day to further our kingdom. But is God calling God is calling us to not just further ours, but to further His. And there are ways that we're not even tapping into that God is saying, You can you can do so much more with a life. Sacrifice about our treasure. Jesus said it pretty clear. He says, Where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. What gets the extravagance of our treasure? What gets the extravagance of the, the big portion of our of our finances, of our time, of our of our family? I love the acronym, G- the greatest way to find joy is to focus on Jesus, others than you. Jesus, others than us. We want to go to us, others, and maybe Jesus if we're not careful. A life of sacrifice says, I'm, I'm least important. I'm Jesus, you're it. And finally, the last thing. A life of sacrifice does, is a life of sacrifice echoes the perfect sacrifice. A life of sacrifice echoes the perfect sacrifice. Look with me at a couple, at the next three verses in verse 9. It says, when a large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, was in Bethany, was having this dinner, was, was hanging out with, with his friends, and, and all these, these events, these activities were going on, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priest made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. A life Of sacrifice echoes the perfect sacrifice, and recognizes we we can take we could take days we could spend so much time just focusing on Mary. They actually believe the general consensus of among Bible scholars is that Mary knew what was about to happen. Mary knew what Jesus was getting ready to go through. Mary was one who sat at the feet of Jesus. She listened to his teaching. She followed after him. She heard him say over and over that the Son of Man must go and die. And she wanted to echo and she wanted to to prepare this perfect sacrifice. And and the anointing was not just a show of love, but it was in preparation for the burial. But we also see Lazarus here who had been right. Anybody in here ever died and been rose from the dead and been risen? Anybody ever? Okay. If you do, please come tell me. If you if you if you know someone that has done that, please come tell me. I don't know anybody else but but we got a story of Lazarus here, who if anybody had a heartbeat and was going, God up Jesus I, I, I've got nothing. I was dead. You gave me life. I want to love you. I want to be humble. I want to, I want to, I want to echo your praises. And the funny, the, the awesome part is, is that it's no longer even just about Jesus' testimony. Did you catch that? When the large crowd came of the Jews, learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on the account of him, of, of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus. Verse 11, they were were wanted to put him to death because, on account of him, on account of Lazarus, many were leaving and following after Jesus. There was a Methodist evangelist named Samuel Chadwick. And Samuel Chadwick, in his evangelistic ministries, he would go into a town and this would be his prayer. He would go into a town and pray, God, give us a Lazarus. That's a, that's kind of an interesting prayer. I mean, are we going is he walking and he he wasn't walking into the local cemetery. He wasn't walking in, but he he would walk into a town and pray, God, give us a Lazarus, and this is what he meant. God, give us somebody that whose life would be so radically changed. That the other people could not help but say there's something different about this. You couldn't get any more different than being dead and now alive. We couldn't get it, there's, there's no greater extreme than being buried and dead, and like they, you know, when Jesus went to raise Lazarus from the dead, they said, Don't open the tomb. Please don't. He stinketh. And Jesus said, No, I'm greater and he who is dead, came to life and echoed the work of Jesus. A life of sacrifice is a life of complete brokenness. It's a life pour, that's pouring out love and humility, and it's a life that echoes the perfect sacrifice of Jesus. The question this morning is how? Are we echoing the perfect sacrifice? Ultimately, this is the bottom line. What we desire to be a disciple of receives our greatest sacrifices. If the takeaway, the takeaway this morning was that a life of sacrifice is the calling for every disciple's life. And a disciple is a learner, someone who desires to learn and to grow and to follow and become like their teacher, then what we desire to be a disciple of receives our greatest sacrifices. You say, Well, Henry, I want to be a disciple of Jesus. My challenge is to you, what what's receiving your greatest sacrifices? What's receiving a surrender or destruction for the sake of something else? You see, there was another supper that was about to take place. And we're going to take it this morning. We're going to participate in communion. And this other supper is what we know as the last supper, and in this supper... Jesus is not just serving. He's not just being served. But He's serving. And He's given final instructions to His followers and He's showing them His heart. And we find that this perfect sacrifice poured out humility. That this perfect sacrifice poured out complete love. He poured out humility when he came. If you look in John chapter 13 14 and 15 in this last account, we find Jesus washing the feet, the very feet of his disciples after his had already been anointed and prepared. We find the perfect sacrifice, giving a new commandment. Saying a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. And ultimately, the perfect sacrifice the very next day is completely and utterly broken. So, as we prepare, our, our deacons come forward to prepare to pass out the elements of communion. I want us to take just a second before we get to that point, before we say, I'm ready to receive this picture, because this is a picture of that sacrifice. This is a picture of what that sacrifice looked like. And we do this to remember all the things to remember the acts. To remember what Jesus came to do. But it remind, the heartbeat is that it would remind us and stir within us. Not just to say, thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. But to say, now I desire to live a life of sacrifice. I desire to follow after you. He has already come. He has done the good work. Dear brother and sister, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've put your faith and your hope in him, if you've trusted in him, he has given you everything you need. He has poured out such a blessing. He has poured out his very life. And now we have hope. We have security. We have joy. We have everything we need to echo and to live this life as a sacrifice, surrendering, breaking everything for Jesus so that the world may know it. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I want you to know that this sacrifice, this sacrificial life that I'm talking about this morning cannot be accomplished on your own. It cannot be done except for the fact of putting your hope and faith in Jesus Christ. And what we're about to partake in, what we're about to do, as we call communion or the Lord's Supper, it is a remembrance and a reminder for us believers. If you've not put your faith and hope, and we're so glad that you're here, but let me challenge you not to partake of this. Unless you've put your faith and hope. If you, if you haven't, you could do that. You could do that right now. If you're saying, Henry, I don't, I've not had this life of, of sacrifice. I don't, I've not experienced the sacrifice of Jesus. I've not put my faith and hope in Him. You confess your sins. You tell Him how much you have messed up, and it, that is a freeing thing. Confess your sins, believe and trust in His sacrifice, and t- and tell Him right now, I commit, I surrender, I give up, I forfeit my life, and I follow You. can I just say that he is good and faithful to do what he promised to do so here's my challenge right? with every head bowed every eye closed just for a second I challenge you if you're a believer to search your heart to, conf- to if there's anything within your heart anything within your life if there is sin in your life ch- confess it right now don't Don't remember His good work walking in the very reason that He gave His life. Confess it. Repent, turn, and guess what? He's faithful. He forgives. He grants grace. He giveth more grace. Receive with gladness the remembrance of His sacrifice. Jesus. I'm walking with you today. Some of us, God is calling us again to a deeper level of sacrifice, to look and to trust and to commit and to confess and surrender to sacrifice our lives. Father God, I pray right now, and I thank you. I thank you for the sacrifice that was displayed, the, sac- the picture of sacrifice that we've looked at this morning with Mary and, and with Lazarus and their commitment to follow you and to, to give up whatever it took. And Father, I pray that as followers, as disciples, God, that we would walk in their footsteps as they're walking in yours, but God. That you would grow a church that is full of disciples, and that these disciples live a life of sacrifice, God. And may this, may this. May this teaching not be, not be anything except just a challenge and a reminder of the perfect sacrifice that was given for us and the, the calling to just to continue to go deeper. You're meeting us to where we're at. You're not saying we've got to be somewhere we're not. God, you find us right where we're at. If there's sin in our lives, you grant forgiveness. Is there If there is worry and anxiety, you grant peace and you grant hope because everything was taken care of on the cross. And so we remember that right now. As we take this communion, as we partake of the elements, God, remembering the finished work as you declared on the cross, it is finished. May we rejoice and hope all the more in you. God, I love you and I praise you and I bless your name. In Jesus' name.